Hello, listeners. It's Susan, and I'm here with your Divorce and Beyond November Headlines Roundup bonus episode. And it's interesting because, you know, historically in the family law industry, the holiday season is kind of the dead zone for divorce actions. Nobody really wants to deal with their divorce during the holiday season. So, you know, we usually see as divorce attorneys and mediators and those professionals who support people going through divorce pretty much from the time that I would say Halloween comes along. It just, the phone stops ringing, the emails stop coming in, and I think clients just need to take a break at the end of the year. Now, put aside that if they're having some difficulty working out how the holidays will be handled, say, for parenting time, we we get a ton of those. And they're usually always emergencies. So you do have those little flare-ups. But it's pretty quiet at the end of the year. And it's interesting because as I went diving into the headlines, I noticed that there didn't seem to be as many divorce, separation, breakup related news stories at this time of year as well. Now, I'm sure that's going to kick up come January. January is historically known as Divorce Month, and we'll talk more about that in some future episodes. But I did find some really interesting cases to talk about. There's There may not be a lot of juicy real housewives divorces going on, although I know there are a couple, but they weren't that juicy or interesting. So those aren't going to be the ones that I'm talking about this month. But I did find some very interesting cases that present some, you know, unusual circumstances and really give me that ability to give you some inside information and knowledge about how these cases work. Before we dive in though, I wanna give you all something to look forward to at the end of November. So the very last episode of the year is coming out right after Christmas. It is on December 26th, so the day after Christmas. It's the last episode of the year, and we're going to have a very special year-end roundtable episode, the first time I've ever done this, and it's gonna be featuring some of my favorite people here in my favorite hometown who also happen to be some of your favorite guests from the show. So they're all Chicagoans, all people who are here local with me in Chicago, but they're definitely people that you know and love and have heard from. So this, again, will be the first time that I'm being joined by four other guests, and we're going to chat about some of the coming trends in divorce, things that each of them coming from their different areas. We have a financial expert, a divorce attorney, a dating expert, a mental health professional, and always me. But we're all going to talk about sort of where we see divorce and your life after divorce, your beyond going. So just a quick rundown. We have, of course, my rock star friend, divorce attorney, two billionaires, Beth McCormick, joining us. I also have one of the top divorce financial professionals in the country. You know her. You love her, Heather Locus. We're going to have my go-to mental health professional when it comes to divorce and navigating change, Jenny Stevens. And of course, it would not be complete without my Chicago friend and America's 
favorite dating expert, Bella Gandhi. So yes, that's quite a roundtable. It's going to be somewhat serious, somewhat fun. And as a special little added, you know, year-end bonus, we're going to have a few couple special gifts for you all. So mark your calendars, December 26th, and tune in to end your 2022 the right way so you can start off 2023 as part of your beyond. So let's dive in and under these curtain headlines that you've perhaps been reading about. Some of these are less celebrity and more interesting cases in the news, but I am going to start with one celebrity case. And that is, the headline is, the legal name of Dwayne Wade's daughter is at the center of a court battle. So Dwayne Wade is trying to legally change his transgender daughter's name and gender. He has to petition the court to change her name and and her gender, which is, is allowed in some states, obviously California, where they are. His ex-wife, the mother of that child, has gone to court and filed an objection to the name and gender change. And what makes this a little more interesting is the fact that Dwayne Wade has sole custody of his daughter. Now, his daughter is Zaya or Zaya, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing her name. She's 15 years old, and she has self-identified as female, wants to use the she and her pronouns, and wishes to transition, and as part of that process, wishes to change her name to Zaya or Zaya. Again, I apologize if I'm getting that incorrect. And, you know, so as part of that process, Dwayne Wade did file with the court this petition for legal change of name and gender. And that is a part for anyone who has dealt with the legal aspects of gender transition, changing someone's name to a chosen gender, usually more gendered specific or just name of choice for that person. I mean, we are all entitled to change our names legally when we are adults. As long as we're not doing it, I believe the the term is to avoid creditors or commit and perpetrate frauds. So we all have the, the right, look at Kanye, changes his name every day. So you can change your name, but because she's a minor, he's petitioning on her behalf. Her father is petitioning. Again, he has sole custody. Now I wanna just point out in the newspaper stories or the news stories that I've read here, it just says that he has sole custody. It does not define whether he has sole physical custody, meaning his daughter lives solely with him, or whether he has sole legal custody or both. Legal custody being the right of a parent to make the major decisions in a child's life. So we don't know that, and I wasn't able to determine that, but it would appear to me just from some of the language that's in this agreement, or that is in the news stories, that he does have sole legal custody. But his ex-wife is alleging that even with that, she, under the terms of whatever agreement they have, which of course is not public, she still has the right to participate in these sorts of major decisions. And so she has asked the court to not grant this request and to make the actions basically sit and go dormant until the child attains the age of 18 and can make the decision as an adult for herself. And frankly, 
Once the child turns 18, she can do whatever she wants without either of her parents making, you know, approving it or not once she's turned 18. Dwayne Wade has come back out after the the ex-wife filed this. She has alleged he's doing this in some way, I think, to financially profit off of his daughter's gender transition. I am uncertain, honestly, as to how that would be monetized or why she would make those allegations. There's no more information on that. But he has said that this is something that is, you know, a very deeply held personal choice and belief and transition that is very central to his daughter's well-being in life and that he is doing this, you know, to help her and support her in her journey. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I will say, I would say, given the fact that, that the, you know, the child is 15, that her father has had sole custody, it it seems, for quite some time. And he alleges anyway that the mom has been an absent parent. So you can have, you know, understand, here's a little, you know, legal aspect to all of this. One parent can have sole custody, both legal and physical. That doesn't mean that the other parent doesn't at times have the right to see that child or have some decision-making rights to that the important decision in that child's life. It will vary depending on why that other parent has sole custody. There are a lot of reasons why someone might have sole custody, but they're generally you know, when somebody is incompetent, that could be because of a mental health issue, that could be because of a addiction issue. There are a lot of reasons why someone might be incompetent to parent. When you have the cases that are uber high conflict and parents can't agree, very often the court feels forced to just select one parent to be the sole custodian. Those are the really sad cases. And that may very well have been what happened here. I don't know the backstory between, but behind how Dwayne Wade got sole custody. But in any event, if there is not a, a decision or an agreement between the parents here, there's going to be a hearing on this on December 12th, and or at least there's a scheduled hearing. As we all know, anyone who's listening and going through a divorce or, or family law case knows that just because you have a court date doesn't mean there's going to be a hearing. But stay tuned for this one. This is an issue that news to plague families with children under the age of 18 who are gender selecting and and are, are not gender selecting but are who are transgender and wish to change their gender and perhaps their name so this will be something that i think we continue to see as the world becomes more sensitive hopefully to this issue so Next case that I want to dive onto, this is one of those that is not celebrities. It's not high profile people, but it is a case that's in the news quite a bit lately. I've been seeing it being here in the Midwest. It's a case that's going on in Detroit. I'm in Chicago, so not far away. And here's the headline. Divorced couple fights over frozen embryo. She wants another baby. He doesn't. So believe it or not, this is actually something that I've come up against in my career many times. As IVF and assisted reproductive you know, methods have gotten better and better over time and through the 30 plus years I've been doing this, 
we are finding more and more cases where when a couple divorces, one of the outstanding issues might be fertilized embryos that are frozen that need to be given to one of the parties or the cost of maintaining them needs to be discussed. Many people might not know if you have fertilized embryos, they do need to be kept in a special cryopreservation process that has a considerable expense to it. And if you don't continue to pay for the storage fees, the facilities will not continue to store those embryos, at which point they become non-viable. So it's often an issue, believe it or not, that comes up in these cases. And I actually had a case that's similar to this one in that during the divorce, I had a couple, they had one child and had one frozen embryo left. And the wife who had fertility issues would not be able to have more children. So she wanted to be awarded that frozen embryo so that she could have another child. My client, I represented the dad in that particular case. He did not want to have another child, was happy having had one child and did not want the egg to be implanted and did not want her to have another child, which is similar to the case that we have here. I'll tell you the twist in a minute. We, that was, this was a very, very difficult case because this is a very emotional and gosh, so many different areas of, you know, there's constitutional law that comes into this. There is religious beliefs that come into this. There is the law of property. There's contract law. So another thing that's very relevant in these cases is when people go to an assisted reproduction center and harvest eggs and and have embryos created from those eggs and sperm, they sign contracts with those facilities that outline who's responsible, who owns them, what happens actually in these instances if divorce or death were to happen. And for most, for the most part, the law has followed that whatever the contract says is what rules and governs the case with a divorcing couple. So for example, in the case that I was involved in, the agreement said that the egg, the fertilized embryo actually could not be used and implanted without the written consent of both parties. My client would not consent. And so therefore there was no ability of the court to order that the wife be allowed to use the the frozen embryo. So that, that was the end of that. We did litigate that and that was the final conclusion. Now that's a number of years ago. This case that we're talking about right now that's still playing out and it's been playing out for two years in Detroit is a little different. This is a case where, because I'm assuming of infertility issues, although that's an assumption, but an egg from the woman's sister was fertilized by her ex-husband. So this is an embryo that is actually not biologically the wife's or the ex-wife's, ex-spouse's child. It is her sister's child with her ex-husband. And what happened was back while they were still married, they created three embryos, two were implanted, and the couple do have twins 
from that. And there's one remaining embryo and the wife would like to use it and have an, another child. And the ex-husband does not want to, to do that. And the wife has said, the ex-wife has said, look, I don't want financial support. I don't want anything from you. It won't be your child. I just want to be able to have one more child. And he has said, that's not me. I'm not that guy. If there were another child in this world that was my child, I would want to be involved in that child's life and I would support that child. So bravo to him. But he does not want to have another child and he does not want to have another child with his ex-wife. And so this has been litigated a couple of times in the lower court in Detroit and the, the court in the first round, the judge agreed with the husband and said that it wouldn't be fair to force him into fathering a child that he would not have anything to do with whether he agreed to it or not. So the judge actually awarded the embryo as property to the husband in that particular case. The wife appealed that, it went up to the appellate court and the appellate court said, this is an embryo, and, and this is in Michigan, so this may not control in some other jurisdiction, but a frozen embryo is more than property. There are special considerations here that should have been given some, you know, some hearing, and so they sent it back down to the lower court. And so the lower court heard it again, and the lower court decided again the embryo was more the husband's than the wife's, citing the fact that it was not her egg that helped create this frozen embryo. It was her sister's, but it was his sperm. So the court again awarded it as property to the husband. The court further said that in the agreement that the couple signed, if you remember, I just talked about that. In, in most of these cases, there are contracts. It said that if the couple's if a couple divorced, if the couple divorced in this particular case, it would be up to the courts to decide what happened with the child. And the court was saying it was deciding it was more his, his the husband's than hers, the ex-wife's. So she has now appealed again, and this is going back up to the appellate court. So we will see where this plays out. But again, these are cases as we see more and more advances in medical science, we're going to start seeing more and more complicated legal issues that are so fraught with emotion and more as we go forward under these issues. So I'll be watching this case. We'll see what happens here. All right, moving on to another celebrity and a kind of child. In fact, Cheryl Burke calls her dog her child. She says she's a dog mom and her dog is her daughter. However, she and Matthew Lawrence, her ex-husband, the headline is Cheryl Burke cozies up to dog Isabella as grueling custody battle with ex-husband Matthew Lawrence rages on. So these two finalized their divorce actually in September. And we talked about this back then, but they still had, if you remember, this one outstanding issue of who owns the dog? Isabella. So according to Cheryl, Matthew purchased the dog and then gave the dog to her as a gift. So her position seems to be that she is the owner of the dog because the dog was given to her as a gift, such as someone buys you a bracelet, they give you a bracelet. It's your bracelet. You don't have to give it back when the relationship ends. 
I'm assuming, again, we haven't heard anything from Matthew Lawrence, but I'm assuming that his position is, I paid for the dog, it's my dog. And that's, in many cases, how the law looks at it. This idea of a gift adds a complication in there. But I talked about this last month, and I just wanted to emphasize this. There are most states, the law is that pets are considered the same thing as a piece of property. So like in the case I was just talking about, where it's a fertilized embryo, and the Detroit, the judge in Detroit in Michigan said it was property and awarded it to the husband, it's the same thing in most states when it comes to a dog or a cat or a hamster or a ferret or a bird. You name the pet, it's, that's, it's, it's like a chair or a piece of furniture. And so what the court will look at in those states is who owns the dog? Who is the person who paid for the dog and has ownership of that dog? Now, again, in this case, that would clearly be Matthew if what I'm guessing he is saying is true. He bought the dog. I believe Cheryl in her comment makes it clear he did buy the dog. But her statement is he then gave that dog to me as a gift. Now, that's a hard thing to prove, right? You know, was it, is there, does she have the card that says, here's the puppy that I bought you, happy birthday forever, I love you? That would be great if she still had that. Most of the time, people, when they give a pet, they don't give over the paperwork or something like that. If this is a pedigreed dog, there would be paperwork, but it may have been registered to him when he purchased the dog. And a lot of married couples don't bother to go through with changing title, I'll call it, to the dog on that paperwork. In fact, I've had those cases, right, where a couple will buy like the little pedigreed Yorkie, the person who goes and picks up the dog and, and pays for the dog or writes the check, gets the paperwork by the breeder filled out for them. If they're not adopt, don't shop people. But if you're, you're buying a dog or even if you adopt, we, we know these days you don't go into the Humane Society and walk away with the dog for free under most circumstances. You are going to write a check. So one of the things that's often brought into court is that little piece of paper like the canceled check or the credit card statement or whatever shows who paid for it. So as they go into this, Cheryl is going to have to bring evidence to the court that a gift was actually made. And there's a lot of different things that people will talk about or testify to or bring to the fore when they're in court trying to prove that they were the actual de facto legal owner of the pet. Things like, I'm the one who always took the pet to the vet, I paid all the vet bills. It's really giving evidence that shows through a course of action over time that someone exhibited the behaviors of an owner. And when it comes to pets, that's usually who paid for everything. But this again can be difficult with a married couple because often their finances are combined. Often they aren't thinking, well, I better pay for the, the vet bill because I want evidence in the future that that's you know, how it got paid. A lot of celebrities that I work with, they don't even pay their own bills. Their assistants do it. Their business manager does it. They Most of them don't even walk around with a credit card, right? They, they These days, somebody's always there, an assistant, to pay for things. So 
this will be an interesting case. They have a court date as well. And as we know, those don't always get heard on time, but they will be having a hearing. It sounds like a trial sometime in January. So it'll be interesting if this plays out in a courtroom to see what sort of evidence is brought forward. But what I would say, you know, sadly, you need to be aware of this if you are in a relationship and you buy a pet or get a pet together, if you are not married, then you can do something like a pet, we call them pet nuptials. You can come up with an agreement in writing that sets out ownership and responsibility around your pet. Very important if you're an unmarried couple who has a pet together. I've been through some nightmare cases with clients in the past where it, you know someone has lost their very much loved pet because the other person just picked them up, took them out the door, and the police are like, hey, we don't really understand who the owner is here, so we're not doing anything. So make sure that you you get your proof that you are the de facto owner of the pet then we're going to dive now into that well second to last case here we're going to go back to the celebrities this one is tommy dorfman and his ex peter they have agreed to divorce terms nine months after filing the husband peter filed for divorce in february so just about nine months ago and it was just a couple of months after tommy dorfman came out as transgender another you know back to our first story of the evening as i said is hopefully the world becomes more tolerant and open-minded about people and you know letting people be who they really are this is going to be something on a legal side where we're just going to see more cases and i i think i wanted to talk about this one to urge sensitivity again to these issues i have I have had cases where couples have split because of life, you know, decisions in life where people wanted to live their truth and a part of them living their truth meant that the relationship was no longer viable. And it's an extremely, extremely painful situation for couples. These have been some of the most devastating divorces I have been involved in in my 32 plus years because we we have people who genuinely deeply love and care for each other but who through no fault of anyone's are just not it's it's the relationship as a married couple is no longer there in fact I had one case where the the divorce was happening the husband you know had realized for a long time that that he was gay but had not been in a place where he could acknowledge that and and finally you know was in a situation where he he had to come clean come out with that be be who he was I, I want to phrase that appropriately and you know his wife loved him very much they had children we went in for the, they they agreed to everything it was not a difficult you know settlement but when we finally got into court for the final hearing both of them were crying so hard that they couldn't be heard as they were trying to do their testimony in the state where I was practicing at the time, you had to go into court for an uncontested hearing to explain to the court that you had come to an agreement, that you believe, understood everything and that you thought it was fair and equitable, et cetera. And they, both of them were crying so hard, we couldn't get through the hearing. We were there almost all day and it was just a devastating, heartbreaking thing to be a part of. So I, 
don't know Tommy or Peter. I hope for them that this was not that difficult situation. I suspect that there were difficulties. Things that they have said about each other in the press seem, at least seem to lead to that. So, you know, I really wanted to include this in the hopes that people will have some compassion if if they ever were to run into this situation amongst themselves or with anyone that they know. And then the last case that I wanted to talk about, last headline, is back to non-famous people, but of interest, I thought. So this is one, I love BuzzFeed. They have this thing about going out and aggregating a bunch of like stories out there, asking people questions. And the headline on this one is, people who divorced over money are sharing the breaking point that ended their marriage, and it's wild. And if you go through this one, don't forget, I always put the links to all these stories in the show notes. Go through and read some of these stories. What I think is interesting is they are all, you know, about money, deeply about the disparity in earning power. And, you know, it's always the case of the saver and the spender. That is what we see in family law all the time is we see people who are savers and for some reason they think it's a really good idea to marry a spender. And as I go through all 15 of these stories, in some way, this is that case. This is the the repetitive case of people who have, in fact, here's one I'm going to read to you. My ex and I had totally different ideas about when we had extra money for non-essentials. I think it's when all your bills are paid and your only debts are the mortgage and the car and no major expenses are looming. My ex thought it's when he had a little extra credit available on one of his many credit cards, right? These are fundamental differences about how to handle money and finances. And I urge you to go read through all of these examples that are in here because they are all clearly people who frankly didn't talk about money before they got married. And if you learn nothing from this particular story, if you are thinking of getting married or anyone you know is thinking of getting married, make sure that you sit down with your spouse and have a deep dive conversation about how money will be handled it's not sexy, it's not fun, it is oh so necessary. It is the number one reason people get divorced, it is the number one reason people who are married fight, and it is something that, look, you may have different views on how to handle money, but if you talk about it up front, you can come to agreements about what would be acceptable, what you both could live with when it comes to money. For the example of that that headline or that story that I was reading where you know they had the different ideas about what extra money was, maybe they could come to an agreement about how much someone could spend without needing the approval of the other party, how much credit someone could use before that became an issue. There's a lot of different ways to address these issues. Better time to do it is before the debt's there, not after you're married, you're underwater, your house is underwater, you've got two mortgages, three kids, 
and not a penny in savings and now you have to pay for a divorce attorney because that's what we usually see when it comes to a spender and a saver. Savers can save and save and save, but if you're with the spender, it's hard to have any savings. So my urge here and the, and the takeaway from this particular headline, folks, is talk about money with your spouse. And even if you've been married for 10 years and you 20 years and you're arguing over money, go get some help. There are money coaches. There are financial professionals. Go out there and get someone. I got I talked about Heather Locust. She's she, you know, call, get in touch with Heather, get in touch with a financial advisor, a money coach, Olivia Summerhill, who's been a guest several times. She actually coaches around money and empowerment. These are important, important topics in relationships and out of relationships. So I'll end on that note as we head into your Thanksgiving week. I wish you all a very, very happy holiday with friends, family, and hoping that you enjoy all of your your holiday weekend and your turkey and on into December. And I'll see you for in the third week of December with our end of year headlines roundup. And don't forget, on December 26th, we'll have that very special roundtable episode. So happy Thanksgiving, everyone. See you next month. 